Welcome to People Plus Culture, the vodcast where we join people and culture alchemist Mildred Black for meaningful conversations for today's workplace. Welcome to People Plus Culture Vodcast, meaningful conversations for today's workplace. Hello, I'm Mildred Black and I am your host. I help human resources and employee relations professionals improve workplace culture by improving the quality of human interactions. And today's guest is Dr. Tyshawn Gardner. Dr. Tyshawn Gardner and I are going to be exploring dimensions of wellness in the workplace. Join the conversation now. Welcome, Dr. Gardner. How are you? Thank you so much for joining the People Plus Culture Vodcast. Good afternoon, Mildred. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here, and I appreciate what you're doing for the culture and the community. Awesome, awesome. Well, why don't we start with you telling us a bit about yourself? Okay. Yeah, Mildred, uh, my proudest, um, I guess, uh, identity piece is that I am the, well, first, I'm a child of God, and I am the husband of Shante Gardner and the father of four beautiful kids, Coretta, Tristan, Titus, and Tyson. Um, I serve as the pastor of Plum Grove Baptist Church here in the city of Tuscaloosa. I've been here 19 years, and I also serve as the vice president for student affairs at Stillman College. Uh, in addition to that, I do teaching. I teach as an adjunct at the University of Alabama in the Department of Gender and Race Studies, and uh, I'm involved in our, my community in a myriad of ways. That's wonderful. Uh, it is all right. That is wonderful. It's it's such a pleasure to have you on, and I appreciate being able to talk with you about uh, what the theme is for 2022's Black History Month which is Black Health and Wellness, you know, we have been uh, having conversations and really exploring dimensions of wellness. Because I know that when people hear wellness, they really initially are probably thinking about wellness of the physical body, um, but may not be thinking about uh, other aspects of wellness, such as financial wellness and social wellness, which really gets into building uh, healthy personal and professional relationships and, uh, you know, social wellness in their communities, the connection there. And so I'm excited to be able to hear from you and hear your perspective about what we can do to increase our wellness in the workplace and in the community. And so I'd like to hear from you first and foremost about what book are you reading now? What's a book that you're reading now that you'd like to share with us? Oh, Lord, I'm I am actually reading. I'm actually writing a book. So exciting. Um, and yeah, and I so I say that because uh, in that my write my reading has actually been uh, research, a lot of books uh, uh, and articles. But there is a book that I'm, I picked up on revisiting by C.T. Vivian, and it's entitled Black Power and the American Myth. So um, I'm actually out of town right now, so I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. And that's one of the books that I brought with me, uh, C.T. Vivian's Black Power and the American Myth. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I've written that one down, and I'm going to be sure to take a look at it and understand it. Let me ask you. Oh, I'm excited. Do you want to share a little tidbit about what the framework is for the book? Yeah, well, C.T. Vivian, of course, uh, 
a contemporary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, Dr. King said about C.T. Vivian that he is the greatest preacher to ever live. Mm. Uh, but he was very influential, powerful, impactful in the, during the civil, civil rights era um, uh, as a contemporary of Dr. King. But this book is sort of about wellness. It is about uh, not only the church, but the, but the community. But it also focus is, focuses on the uh, misconceptions that the black community sometimes has about uh, America, but also it issues a challenge to the church and the African-American community about a path forward. So it's very insightful about, hence, the American myth part mm-hmm. that um, there's so much that we've learned in school about America that uh, is a part of revisionist history. Mm-hmm. It's not actual. It's it's a person's account or a um, a detailing from the side of the victor, mm-hmm. uh, as you say. Not so much of those uh, of indigenous communities, black communities, immigrant communities. So uh, it's a very insightful book. It's a classic book, and in fact. I am reading the 50th anniversary edition of that book, but uh, it's it's considered a classic in uh, my area of uh, sort of expertise, black church studies uh, and uh, prophetic rhetoric. So it's a very insightful, very powerful book. And I'm just I just picked it up to reread it and to reference it for some of the work that I'm doing. That's exciting. Thank you for sharing. Let me ask you, when you heard the 2022 theme for Black History Month being Black Health and Wellness, from your area of expertise and your perspective and how you navigate the world, what does that mean to you today? It resonated with me, Mildred, as a pastor and someone who teaches uh, theology. Uh, the, the Hebrew word shalom means peace. It means Mm well-being. So when I saw the theme, I immediately thought about shalom. Shalom, peace, we read it peace in the English, but it is not simply the absence of conflict. Mm. Peace, shalom, as it is written in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament text, it means well-being in uh, well of mind, of body, of soul, financial well-being. It it is health. It is health and wellness. So shalom is Mm all-compassing. So when I saw that um, theme and heard you talk about it, immediately I I thought about a biblical concept. concept, And I thought about um, an ideal that all of us as individuals, families, and communities, we need to uh, uh, strive for. Uh, strive is a is a is maybe a bad word for peace, but it is some it is a place that we need to arrive mm-hmm. by several things, uh, doing several things. I'm sure your guest has also um, explained what we need to do to to achieve that wellness. Most definitely, most definitely. Let me ask you as we look at the as lo- as we look at where we've been and where we are today. I, I'd like for you to just if you could just take a step back and look from a historical perspective and give us some perspective that way as to where we are now when it comes to health and wellness, where we come from and what do we have to learn? 
think we've learned so much. I think we've made incredible strides. Um, and just speaking specifically from, let's say, mental health, mm-hmm. uh, we know in the African American community, uh, when I was a child, and I, I even hear my parents, mental health was was something that was taboo. It was something that we tried to sweep under the under the rug, or we tried to send those kids up north, yes, or hide them, uh, so to speak. And uh, so I think we've come a long way in, in not embracing it. We were embracing the fact that it is not something strange. Uh, people who struggle with mental health issues or even born, they are beautiful image bearers mm-hmm. that are deserving of our love and our attention and our advocacy. So I think we've come a long way in terms of how we view mental health. But also, I can remember growing up in Pickens County, uh, going to school there, some of my friends were were placed in what we call special class, special ed. I remember that too. But do you know, I can probably rattle off three of those persons today that are probably doing just as well or better than I am. Mm. So, so historically, we have had we've had to grapple as all ethnicities and races with uh, mental health and not having the agency or the access to the help that we've needed. But also, we have been stigmatized and in terms of the structures of this country, we've been uh, placed in these spaces when maybe we didn't need to be there. So I think we've come a long way in terms of literacy about mental health. But at the same time, Mildred, I think we have a long way to go in terms of mental health. I think there's still a stigma around it. You know, if I were to hurt my arm or my leg, I wouldn't be embarrassed about going to the doctor. I wouldn't be embarrassed about telling you. I wouldn't be embarrassed about seeking help. But when it comes to the mind, there's still some skepticism or some embarrassment. And so I think we still have a long way to go to remove some of those stigmas that we we associate with mental health. That's so true. But also in other areas. Go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing. Please continue. Yeah, in other in other areas, uh, financial wellness, you know, it's uh, it's no secret. We we it's the same thing. We have people now who are business owners, uh, CEOs. I just and so we have people in our communities that are thriving, doing well financially. However, still financial literacy is a thing. Mm-hmm. So we need to really do better in those areas. Uh, also to make for peace, shalom, and wellness. We've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. Mm. We have have come a long way. And I think we're at a point now where there's another level that we can go to if we see that, if we see that as available for us. If we see... If we see ourselves as being emotionally whole and, and able to be well emotionally and understand right, that right. there are people who can help us, 
you know, mm-hmm. he, right. whoever you are, because I do right. believe that there is a stigma also. I don't know if it's linked to the South or if it's linked to uh, the African-American community or, 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 or if it's linked to poverty. I'm not exactly sure where I well, got the message from, yeah. but I was raised with that mindset that, you know, you don't talk about mental health. It's hush hush. You sweep it under the rug. It's 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 taboo. Like you said, I was I yeah. was I was raised to believe that not intentionally, but that's right. when I walked into the when I stepped into adulthood. That was my frame of mind about it. Right. Right. You know, I, I just read just yesterday. I told you I was re- I, I do a lot of re- I'm doing having to do a lot of research due to uh, a book that I'm writing. But I one, one section of the book I, I write about the the link or the intersection between poverty and mass incarceration. And I was reading an article yesterday that spoke from Stanford uh, University that spoke about uh, prenatal or a predisposition to poverty and trauma. And what the art what the article was essentially arguing, is that children, even in the womb, when they are exposed to the stressors of poverty uh, and and violence, mm. then it be- it becomes a part of their DNA. Wow. And so, when they come into the world, those children, and unless there is some intervention, intervention, uh-huh. some changing of environments and circumstances, those children statistically are more prone and predisposed to uh, uh, repeat and duplicate the environments that have shaped them even in the womb. Mm. And so so historically, and what I love about Black culture is that that is a reality because we've had to uh, grapple. I just made a post on yesterday, 250 years of slavery, another 100 years of Jim Crow, which equals poverty, mm-hmm. right? And so we, our people, have been uh, exposed to those stressors. But amazingly so, amazingly so, we are a resilient people. Truly. And so it's no, you know, it's only by the grace of God that uh, more of us are not having mental challenges. So we, we serve a mighty God. True. that have kept us even in light of some of these recent discoveries and researches that has shown us that children born into poverty uh, are shaped and molded by these stresses even in the mother's womb. So we, we thank God for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to ask you about um, racial reconciliation. Because I know mm-hmm. that this is, a, I follow you on social media and I'm aware that I've seen many things that you post and I find your work and your study and your area of focus to be very educational for me. Um, right. and, and also Thank very you. validating, honestly, as an African-American, um, you know, businesswoman to to hear you speaking of, you know, racial reconciliation and in the history of where we've been. Can you speak on that? Because I, I think a lot of the literature that I see that talks about the workplace is dealing with that intersection between people and the culture at work. And, and many times that culture does 
carry harm in its DNA. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, racial reconciliation, I, I, you know, I think we look at these words, um, the, but the reconciliation aspect, and, and I'm not certain. There, there, there are studies now that are raising the issue, is racial reconciliation the correct term or racial conciliation? Mm. Because reconciliation would suggest that these two parties were once at one time together. There we and go. I'm not, I don't know if we could can say that in our, about our country. In fact, I think the reverse is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, even considering our current uh, uh, divisiveness, I think perhaps historically we are probably closer than we've ever been. Interesting, so, yeah. Yeah. But to answer your question, whether it's racial reconciliation or conciliation, I think it begins with uh, the, first of all, truth telling. And it begins with, it starts with truth telling, listening uh, between two groups that have equal seating at the table, but the the manifestation to make that happen may not be what we might call 50-50. So when we look at racism in this country, uh, Black people have been disenfranchised as a whole, Black people. So what that suggests is racism is more than just this feeling that I don't like you. Racism includes power. It is power. And it is the ability to prevent or hinder access and agency. Mm. That's what racism is defined. It's wow. not just. And so I, I, I have gone on record saying that um, a powerless, a powerless group cannot be racist. Mm -hmm. They can hold biases. Mm -hmm. They can be hateful. Mm -hmm. They can be mean and unkind. Mm -hmm. But the way racism is in this country, racism has been a dislike plus power and the ability to prevent that. Black folks have have never been able to do that. We, we, we didn't own banks. We were not in government. We, we did not possess the collective power to literally disenfranchise a whole people. Mm-mm. So what that means is, as a black man, my con- congregation, my family, my community, we have a lot of forgiveness to do. We have a, a lot of forgiveness to do. Mm-hmm. But w- the, the way has to be made for us. And so that's why I say both parties have uh, have have things that we have to do. Mm-hmm. We also as a as a people have to be faithful mm-hmm. with the uh, opportunities that will be afforded us mm-hmm. as a result of this reconciliation. So it's one thing for the the, 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 the banks, the corp, corporate America, the public and private government sectors to say, you know what, we must make up. We got to make amends. We're going to do so by scholarships or 
ensuring that voter enfranchisement is no longer an issue. Mm-hmm. You see, we that all of those things can happen, but unless we are personally responsible, faithful with it, it doesn't mean anything. Secondly, I say this, we learned a lot. We can learn a lot from South Africa. 1996, Nelson Mandela is released from prison. And what Mandela wanted to do, he didn't want to uh, imprison the folk who had imprisoned him. Right. He didn't want to take back land that had been stolen from his people. Mandela just wanted the truth. And so they, they developed the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, 1996, mm. South Africa, meaning that until there is truth-telling, there, ne- there cannot be reconciliation. So there has to be an admission. We did this. This mm. happened. And so and what, what frightens me today is that when I see that in our country there are 13 or 14 states that have banned mm-hmm. critical race theory, I'm not sure if governments are going to be truthful. And so until there's truth, there won't be reconciliation. So that's got to happen because you have to admit I was wrong. This happened. And be specific. Use data. Mm-hmm. And then then it is up to me. And I, as a Christian, I believe we have to say, I forgive you. Yes. Let's walk through this mm-hmm. and let's ensure that no one else suffers that. So reconciliation means equal state. What has happened, I think, so often in these racial reconciliation talks, one group has defined what it means. Mm-hmm. One group has defined what it means. And it can't be that. There has to be equal share, equal stake at the table, although what has to happen may not look like a 50-50. Mm-hmm. And there has to be truth telling. So that's what I think. Racial conciliation. Conciliation. Uh, but it, be- it begins with telling the truth. You know, in the workspace, oftentimes when there is harm of some kind, whether it is bias or some policy or some practice, whatever the harm is, I have routinely walked leaders through a process of conciliation and reconciliation where we do a reset. We have to do a reset because leaders can sometimes, you know, let's just be honest, leaders error. Leaders leaders can perpetuate pain or perpetuate harm in the workspace. Or it can be an individual on the team that's perpetuating pain and harm. And I have taken teams and leaders through a process of reset before, but it always Uh starts with a clear admission of what was done that was wrong. You got to say it. You must be honest. You know, think think about relationships. You know, think about, you know, uh, you know, husband and wives or two people who are dating. You know, people are going to mess up. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And 
when we sweep it under the rug, what always happens? It's going to come back up again. You're you going to trip up over it after a while because the rug is like this high. You're going to trip up over it. That's it. The, it's going to be this high. That's right. But, but you know, there's got to be a truth telling. There's got to be a, a sincerity, a genuine, I was wrong. Without the buts, without the buts, I was wrong, full stop. Full stop. I was wrong. This was wrong. This happened. And I'm going to try my best not to do it again. I don't. I know we don't have uh, time to go through this, but I want to give you another book. Please. It's called The Five Languages of Apology. Wow. Gary Chapman, The Five Languages of Apology. Very, very powerful book. Uh, you know, Gary Chapman wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. But later, he wrote this book entitled The Five Languages of Apology, really just showing folk how to apologize, mm. you know, recognizing your mistake. You know, it's five things that we will find just very powerful that uh, he gives us. And I think in, as, it re- as it relates to racial reconciliation, we can learn a lot from, from that book. That's powerful. That's powerful. There's a mic drop right there. <laughs> I feel like we need to drop the mic. But but I want to ask you this, because I know that you have had uh, quite a bit of experience in corporate America, even in the human resources space. So in that way, you you know the, the vein through which I operate in, in, as an HR professional right. and an HR consultant. I'd like for you, right. if you would, to just uh, share... Uh, what you think are some some things that leaders can think about in order to lead with compassion and hope, particularly in light of this period that we're in, this transition period and this almost restart period, if you will, for many as it relates to the mm-hmm. pandemic and, and the, the new way of existence that we're in at this right. time. Yes, I think that's that's such a powerful question, Mildred. It is such a powerful. Leave it up to you to come up with with, with something <laughs> like that. So innovative, but I think um, as a as a former uh, human resource professional, a uh, a founder and CEO of a nonprofit, a college administrator, and a pastor, uh, I think. We have to rethink, we have to go back to the policies and um, revise. We, we have to revise a lot of things. You know, my time in HR, you know, every policy would have a revision date. Mm-hmm. That, and that is because when you, the, a policy was needed to address a certain situation, but in time, new situations arise that maybe you didn't think about or maybe a new case that could not have been captured. Mm -hmm. So COVID has done that. So I think that we are badly mistaken if we, if we think that we can uh, place the same playbook pre COVID as we are in in the midst of COVID and certainly post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So there's going to have to be a re-evaluation of policies, procedures that lend themselves to compassion. Mm-hmm. How do we get there? We get there by listening. Listening. Great leaders are great 
listeners. It does not diminish my power. It does not diminish my authority. It does not diminish who I am to listen to you, Mm -hmm. to get your perspective as a person that's in the cubicle or on the assembly line or in the field. It does not diminish me, but more so it empowers and enlightens me. So I think when you talk about how we manage with compassion, it simply starts with hearing from people. And let me add more than one person, Mm. because COVID, for instance, it affects families different, right? It it affects people from different social economic backgrounds. Yes. So what happens, I think, in, 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 um, human resource departments, many times, we draft these policies in cultural silos. Yes, yes, In yes. other words, <laughs> we, we draft a policy that we think will fit every gender, mm-hmm. every person, mm-hmm. every sexual orientation, mm-hmm. and it does not work like that. Mm-hmm. You consider what's going on, it's still going on at some, some uh, corp- corporations have policies, right? Mm-hmm. So whoever came up with these policies that you can't have corn rolls, you can't have dreadlocks, you can't have this, surely they are not culturally aware. No. So this listening comes from having people of different backgrounds, perspectives at the table, and we listen intently. One of the things Dr. Warwick insists of her leaders at Stillman College I don't, is that we involve students. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in trouble, if you want to get in trouble at Stillman College as a, as a manager or executive, try drafting a policy or doing something and not have students involved. That's, <laughs> that's powerful. That's, that's going to get you in trouble real quick. Yes. So I don't care what it is. We want to have, we have students at the table. We have students because, you know, I was a student uh, many, 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 many years ago. And most of us who manage, we were students in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. It's a different ball game. Yes, it's it a is. Different, it's different. And so we need, and, and I have found Mildred, Listening to these students, they are so intelligent, so so bright. Mm -hmm. Man, they are so innovative. And it just makes us better. So listening, 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 if we want to be compassionate. And that inclusivity, that including of the students to hear from them is something that we can definitely learn from. So we just want to celebrate Dr. Warwick in this moment for that intention there because that's the very same thing we can do in our workplaces to really get the best outcomes. Yes, she is. I really appreciate that. So I want to ask you one last question. From your perspective, Mm -hmm. with with knowing what we know now, what would you say is our call to action? What would you like to leave my listening audience with? And remember, my listening audience is going to consist of those five generations that are in the workplace, um, with uh-huh. the largest representation being those who are in generations uh, Y and Z, which is burgeoning. So we're talking about 20 to 30-somethings, 
you know, a, a lot of people represented that haven't even reached the age of 40 yet. What would be the call to action that we want to leave them with or that key takeaway from our conversation? Three things. Uh, number one, bet on yourself. Mm. Trump, Trump, bet on yourself. You are smarter than you know. There is potential yet untapped in you. You matter. You have something to lend to the conversation that needs to be heard. Mm -hmm. So don't sit on the sidelines. That's one. Two is to remember the less, the less fortunate, mm -hmm. the most vulnerable. Because the old saying is so true. We are only as strong as the weakest link. Yes. So Amen. When, when I get out of the hood, when I make it, I have to reach back and help someone else. When I get out, I need to make sure that someone else is learning from my mistakes so that they don't have to make those mistakes. Uh, and we, we, we want to we want to help. We want to serve. So I would I would uh, put that in service. And third. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help, whatever mm -hmm. it may be, whatever it may be, financial help, mental health, uh, whatever it may be. We get in so much trouble trying to go it uh, the Lone Ranger way, or as we say in uh, ecclesiastical uh, circles, we the Messiah complex mm. is going at it by yourself, going at it alone. So don't be afraid to ask for help. I need help. Will you help me? Mm -hmm. So those three things, uh, trust, believe in yourself, mm -hmm. serve the less fortunate, and don't be afraid to ask for help. And I think if we do that as a community, community. Yeah. as an individual, we're going to be okay. Wow, that's powerful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now I can officially say mic drop. That was so, so powerful. <laughs> Believing in yourself. Bless you. Yes, asking, uh, serving others and asking for help. Those are words that's to it. live that's by. A, that's a three. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Dr. Gardner, Dr. Gardner, how can people stay connected to your work and, and stay connected to you? Um. Follow me on Instagram at Pastor Gardner. Uh, follow me on Twitter uh, at Dr. Tyshawn Gardner and on Facebook, Tyshawn Gardner. I post a lot, post a lot of books. Oh, yeah, Angela. Uh, I mean, Angela Mildred. Yes. I, a book, a book. Now, I did buy a book yesterday. I didn't. I'm. I, I le actually left it at home because I'm doing this one, but I bought Angela Davis's autobiography. Oh my goodness, that's yeah. gonna be good. So, yeah, so so I read like the first chapter last night, but uh, but yeah, so I, I I post a lot of books. I uh, communicate my heart. I do a lot of advocacy advocacy that way on uh, on social media. Uh, but most of all, come visit us at Plum Grove every Sunday, 10 o'clock a.m. We are in person. Come worship with us. Uh, if, or if you cannot, tune in to our Facebook page on Sundays at 10 and uh, get a good word. 
And also, you can find me always on the hill at Stillman College. Send your child, your neighbor's child, or you to Stillman College. It's a great time to be there. Oh, that is so good. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been so enlightening, and I know that my listening audience is going to gain so much from this conversation. So thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you for what you do for us. Thank you. We are. We love you. We are proud of you. Thank you. We are behind you, you, and we're going to be the win in your sale, Mildred. Oh, God bless you. That means a lot. <laughs> thank you so much. Bless you. Awesome. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. All right. Thank you, so much. Thank you Dr. Gardner. This was good. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. I so appreciate you. All I right. hope that your time and your Thank studies you. and all that you're doing is going to be, I know it's going to be fruitful and I know it's going to be amazing. And we look forward to reaping the the benefit from it. Yeah. On the other side. You'll, you'll, get, to, you'll, you'll get to see my books. That Both of them are coming out in the fall. So when, when you do, you have to have me back to talk about my books. I absolutely will. You can count on it. <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a wonderful right. weekend. Thank Bye-bye. you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Gardner. And thank you, listening audience, for tuning in to People Plus Culture Vodcast, meaningful conversations for today's workplace. Now, if you have a burning question that you'd like to ask me that has anything to do with your career or the workplace or leadership, send it my way. Contact at peopleoptimum.com. The email address is contact at peopleoptimum.com. And remember to like, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much.